So, we're in this series called Loving Otherly. Pastor Jessica kicked us off last week, and she opened the box and made us come face to face with the reality that if you're going to authentically love God, you have to love your neighbor. Loving God and loving neighbor are a lot more connected than what we originally thought. And you know, loving God is a lot easier than loving your neighbor. Because God doesn't stay up till 3 a.m. blasting Jason Aldean. God doesn't have an argument with colorful language on his front porch while you're trying to sit outside, enjoy the sunshine, and a glass of sweet tea. God doesn't let his dog come and do its business in your yard. People are difficult, but yet we're called to love them. If we're really going to love God, we have to give him the love of neighbor. Because we can't give God anything that he can't get from himself apart from our service and our free will. Because we have to make the choice to worship him. We have to make the choice to love our neighbor. He can't make us do that. And so we sit with the reality of having to love our neighbors who are difficult. And that's especially challenging when your neighbors aren't clean. I don't know about you, but I, I enjoy the feeling of a slick, sanitary countertop. I like when I can walk in my house and I don't feel dirt underneath my bare feet. Okay? It's nice. It's, it's good to feel clean. And I'll tell you that I was not your stereotypical boy as a kid. Now, there were definitely boy things that I did, but when it came to getting dirty, I fell outside of the stereotype. Because I remember there's a person I went to high school with, and he never, 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 never let me live it down. And he said to me, he's like, yeah, I always remember. My mom said when Jared came over to the house, now you can't go outside with Jared because he's afraid of germs. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, like, to be honest, I would have much rather stayed inside and played video games with a two-liter of Mountain Dew. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't like to get dirty at that time. And I want to ask you, because some of us have a greater tolerance for getting dirty than others. Just how dirty... Are you willing to get? Are you willing to touch the soggy food in your kitchen sink with your bare hand? Are you willing to open up the shower drain and pick out your wife's slimy hair monster from the drain? Okay? Are you willing to tackle a blowout without a hazmat suit for a baby? Are you willing to get dirty? Just how dirty are you willing to get? Now, when you consider yourself a clean person, <clears throat> it's just easier to be around other people who are clean, right? It's nice when you go to other people's houses who live a well-organized and well-sanitized life. 
But life isn't perfect all the time. And you get a roommate in college who doesn't shower as much as you do or do his laundry as often. Or you marry someone who doesn't know how to wipe off the counter like you like it. Which, that's me, by the way. I'm the one that wipes it off wrong. And <laughs> or you just face the reality that your kids did not inherit your hate for dirt that you have in your bones. If you're a clean person, you're uncomfortable when you get someone's car and a McDonald's fry sleeve is still on the seat and there's salt in all the little crevices. You're uncomfortable when someone smells of garlic and B.O. and you, you're going to go sit on their couch. It's awkward. You can't stay anything in anything less than a holiday inn. When you're a clean person, you like to be around clean things. And so it brings us to the age-old saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. So here's your sermon, finally. By the way, I mean, there's not a verse that says exactly that in the Bible, but we're going to dig into the subject. Just how close is cleanliness to godliness? Just how close is godliness to cleanliness? So this morning, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. So it's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. But if you're there, again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. And I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So it really sounds like here, I mean, we're talking about a spiritual uncleanness, not a physical uncleanness right now. But God doesn't want us to associate with sinners, it seems. Cut yourselves off from people who don't follow the Lord. Cut yourself off from the people who are sinners. If you're going to hang out with the pigs, you're probably going to get dirty. If you're going to hang out with the skunks, you're probably going to get sprayed. It seems like that's what the passage is saying. Don't hang out with sinners. Don't hang out with unbelievers. Don't hang out with those who don't follow Jesus. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't run with those that do. Cut yourself off. If you're a man or woman of God, you shouldn't get too close to people who are wicked. People who swear a lot, people who go to strip clubs, people who cheat on their spouse, people who are sinners. Love people who aren't messed up. Love people who are easy to love, it seems like the passage is saying. 
Stay close to the people who are holy. Stay close to the people who are clean because cleanliness is next to godliness, right? Now, this isn't something new. So Paul is exhorting the church to cut themselves off from people who would influence them to sin. And if you go to the Old Testament, you'll find that God does something very similar when he says, don't marry any foreigners. Don't marry any foreigners, because if you do, you're going to be tempted to worship their gods. And the wisest guy to live, Solomon, knows this, and yet still makes the mistake, and then ends up supporting the worship of other gods. So why does this happen? Why is it when we associate with people who are unclean, we tend to get unclean? I want to talk to you about a little something called synergy. And no, not S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y, where you've had a long, boring office meeting about how you should be good teammates so you can win together. Dream work. <laughs> it makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. No, S-I-N-E-R-G-Y. And you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. It's when one idiot like myself gets together with another one and we do stupid stuff together. Is that my sin inspires your sin and your sin inspires my sin and then we make a big old sin cocktail. We start to justify the things that we're doing and we're like, ah, man, it's cool. This is going to be so much fun. So obviously that's an exaggeration, but nonetheless, the principle is true. Synergy gets us into dumb places. I've done it plenty of times. The pure pressure weighing down on you. It's just so much easier to do it with the other group of people than just by yourself sometimes. Not that it's not possible by yourself, but synergy definitely sucks you in to filth. I mean, think of the fact why so many people, you know, they get caught doing something, they get arrested, right, because of synergy. They're in jail, they're like, I really want to change. And then they get out, but they go back to the same network of connections. And so the synergy takes place all over again, and the pattern continues. And it can happen in smaller ways, too. But nonetheless, who we're around influences how we act. So stay close to godliness Put yourself far away from unholiness, far away from wickedness, so that you're not making synergy. Stay close to holy people so you're making holergy. <laughs> Doesn't work as good, but. <laughs> so it's easy, right? Stay away from sinners. Stay close to other Christians and don't involve yourself in the things of the world. So today, believe it or not, I'm suggesting that we leave the Wesleyan Church and become Amish. So sorry, Wayne Schmidt. We're going to go hang out with Uncle Ezekiel and Brother Jebediah. I hear the peanut butter's good. We're going to cut ourselves off from the world, right? Because that's the answer. That's what we should do. Because cleanliness is next to godliness, right? Love the people who are easy to love. Except... What do you do with Mark chapter 2? Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus 
went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So Jesus is teaching, and he comes across a tax collector. And a tax collector has two strikes against them. One, they're associating with Rome, who is the one that is occupying them. And secondly, they're taking more money than they need, from them so they can get rich. And yet Jesus is hanging out with him. If only Paul could have warned him. If only Paul could have been there to show Jesus the air of his ways. If only Paul could have saved Jesus. He's going to get caught up in synergy. Right? Watch out, Jesus. So what are we supposed to do with that? When these two passages seem to fight against each other, where we have Jesus eating with sinners and not the righteous people, and yet we have Paul saying, don't associate with the sinners. Cut yourselves off from them. The Bible's confusing sometimes, right? So maybe, maybe Jesus is just the only one who's allowed to do this. I mean, he's without sin. He could resist the synergy. Except why would he bring the rest of his disciples in? And why would he leave if he was the only one that was capable of going among sinners and not getting caught up in the synergy? of bringing them unto himself. Why would he leave and ask us to be his hands and his feet? We find ourselves asking, why did he eat with such scum? Why did he eat with the sinners? What you need to notice here is that what Jesus did not do is just as important as what he did do. Because the Pharisees liked to get caught up in the fact that Jesus was eating with sinners, that he was around those who were unclean, that he invited those who were unclean into his life. But never once did he engage in contributing to the filth. 
He hung around them, but he never partnered with them. He hung around them, but never said, hey, let's go sin together for the sake of connection. So then what do we do with the 2 Corinthians passage? Now with the example of Jesus, if we look a little closer at 2 Corinthians, we discover some specific language that Paul uses. Paul says don't partner with those in wickedness. Don't team up with them. Don't touch anything of theirs that is unclean. You can be separate but still around. You can be separate and not team up with them and still associate yourself with them. And so side note here, okay? This sermon gives you a little bit of a tool. If you ever run into a space where you feel like scripture is contradicting itself, start with Jesus. Because we shouldn't be interpreting Jesus through the lens of Paul. We should be interpreting Paul through the lens of Jesus. Because Jesus is the son of God. Paul is not. Paul's a great guy, but he's not the son of God. Paul didn't save me from my sins. Jesus did. So we're interpreting Paul through the eyes of Jesus. And we realize that if Jesus eats with sinners, if Jesus surrounds himself with people who are wicked, then certainly it doesn't mean we should cut him off from our lives. Because otherwise we're making the same mistake as the Pharisees. Jesus was around them but never partnered with them. He never said, hey, let's go collect some taxes and extort some people. He never said, hey, let's go find you a new prostitution client. He never said, hey, let's go find your mom and dad and yell insults at them together. He never said, hey, let's be partners in wickedness. So yes, I guess you can say that cleanliness is next to godliness in the sense that God wants us to be spiritually clean. The more Christ-like we become, the more we walk away from sin in our own lives. But confusingly, paradoxically, wonderfully, godliness is also next to filthiness. Godliness is next to cleanliness and filthiness. Godliness is next to cleanliness and filthiness. Because if a Christian is only next to those that are clean, spiritually, holy, they're very clearly being angelic, but not Christ-like. They might be like Christ in his purity, but they're unlike Christ in his humility. They're like Christ in his disapproval of sin, but they're unlike Christ in his compassion for the sinners. They are like Christ in their love for the church, but they're unlike Christ in his love for the lost. They're Pharisees who can't see past their goody-two-shoes way of living. Are you one? I've been. So again, godliness is next to cleanliness and filthiness, which also means, oddly enough, the holier you get, the dirtier you should get. The holier you get, the dirtier you should get. And you already know I'm not talking about engaging in sin, but when you draw close to the heart of the Father, when you become more like Christ, you begin to embody the compassion that he has for the lost. And you want to go and seek and save them. Your heart 
hurts for them in the same way that the Father's heart hurts for them. And you'll find yourself in spaces rubbing up against people who happen to be filthy, who happen to be unclean because of the sins in their lives. And it gets messy. It means you will bring things into your life that aren't always fun. There might be some headaches along the way, but you do it for your love of God. And you love the difficult people. The holier you get, the dirtier you should get. The more you grow in Christ-likeness, you shouldn't be growing and avoiding your neighbors, but embracing them. The more you grow in Christ-likeness, you shouldn't get better at avoiding the weird people at Walmart, but being willing to talk to them. The more you grow in Christ-likeness, you shouldn't grow in your distaste for when people swear, but in your empathy for the pain that they're hiding within. Godliness, Christ-likeness, finds itself next to filth. Godliness sits next to filth. You're never too holy to be around somebody. Don't join in the unholy talk. Don't join in the unholy anger. Don't join in the theft. Don't join in the gossip. Separate your way of living from theirs, but join in on their lives. The sin is not being around those who are sinners. It's in contributing to their sin alongside them. Don't contribute to the filth, but be around the people who happen to dabble in the filth. So what's the point? What should we do then? I want to read to you Exodus 29, 35 through 37. And when I'm reading it, you're going to be like, what does this have to do with this sermon? Just trust me, okay? Exodus 29, 35 through 37. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, just as I've commanded you. Over seven days you shall ordain them. Also every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. And also you should offer a sin offering for the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days... You shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. When is there ever a situation when a clean thing and a dirty thing come together and they both leave clean? Because either they both leave dirty Or they switch places. But in the kingdom of God, the good news is that Jesus Christ laid down his life, sacrificed himself to make his life an altar through which he could make us holy and not become unclean by touching us. Because when you consecrate yourself in that matter, whatever touches becomes holy. You are not becoming unclean by being around them. And so the good news is because Jesus Christ did that for you, he wants you to do that for others. Is that when you lay your life down as a sacrifice, as an offering for people to come closer to Jesus Christ, God wants to touch others through you. God wants to make people clean through the work he's doing in your life. He wants to show them a little bit of his face 
So you don't need to be worried about becoming unclean if your purpose is to lay down your life so that they can have the sin, the filth washed off of them just like you did. God wants to touch others through you. So, if cleanliness and filthiness are next to godliness, if the holier you get, the dirtier you should get, what does this mean for us? First, you got to humble yourself. You are not as great as you think you are. That's the reality. Because number one is that you were in that filth once too. You can sit there and be like, oh, wow, well, they're a lot dirtier than I was, you know. I just had a little scab on my knee from when I fell down, but they're just covered in mud. Doesn't matter. You're both filthy. You're both in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And you are no more valuable than they are. God loves them just as much as he loves you. And in fact, Scripture would attest to the fact that God's heart hurts more for that person than he does for you right now even though you're equally loved. He leaves the 99 to go for the one. He runs after the prodigal son. His heart hurts from that. And secondly, if you ever think to yourself, well, I mean, if that person just would have tried as hard as me, the only reason that you are as holy as you think you are is because God did the work in you. All you get to claim is saying, yes, sir, I'll take it. That's it. You are only as great as you are because of the grace of God. Humble yourself. You're not as awesome as you think. Second, don't be a xenophobe, be an earthworm. Don't be a xenophobe, be an earthworm, okay? Now, for those of you who are germaphobes, right, like you, you get the feeling like you just feel icky. I can't stay in this hotel room. I can't sleep here. Sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, that's sometimes how we feel around people who make us uncomfortable, right? People who are sinners. It's like, I don't want to be here. I don't like what they're saying. I don't like who they are. I don't like their reputation. No, 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 no. Be an earthworm. What does an earthworm do? Literally eats dirt. Eats dirt because they know that within it, there is good stuff, right? There are nutrients. And I'll tell you that we like to make the people who are filthy that are their identity into that. But that's not the truth. Just because they're covered in it doesn't mean God didn't create them. Doesn't mean that God didn't have a plan for their life. They're covered in it, but underneath that, God wants to adopt them as a child into his family. Be an earthworm. When you look at people, don't focus on your disgust for the sin. Focus on the fact that underneath that, there is someone that God wants to transform. There is someone that God wants to touch others through. In fact, God want, might want to do something more powerful with their life than yours. He might have a great mission for that that you could never imagine. Be an earthworm. Look through the dirt for the good stuff, encourage them. Tell them that they're loved. Tell them what God wants to tell them. And third, find your mud pit. And for the English people in the room, I'm sorry I realized I should have made that two words. 
but, okay, just, just bear with me. So all that being said, find your mud pit. I think that while we're all called to not skirt away from those who are filthy, who are spiritually unclean, we are called to some unique mud pits, to a unique kind of filth, to minister to people in a unique kind of sin. And sometimes God makes it easy and he calls you back to the same swamp that you used to be in, which is great because you know the paths, you know the way out, you know the dangers, and you can guide other people through that. But sometimes he's not so gracious. He calls you into a swamp that you've never been in before. That's up to you and the Lord to figure out. But he's got a mud pit for you. Because the more you grow in holiness, the more you grow in Christ-likeness, the more he's going to draw you to people who are sinners. So what group of people is he calling you to? What group of people, maybe that you have pushed yourself away from, that you have been so judgmental towards, that the Lord wants to change your opinion of, that he wants you to stop being a cynophobe and start being an earthworm, and looking through the dirt to see what God could make them into. So, find your mud pit. I want to tell you a little bit of story about my own mud pit. And, you know, I, I'm an assistant chaplain at Grant County Jail. Love doing it, but I did not ever think I would find myself there. And the whole reason that I even started going to the jail was because in my ordination interviews, I identified in myself that I did not feel I was very strong in evangelism. And so they said, well, what are you going to do about it? So I'm like, all right, I guess I got to figure something out. I was like, I'll, I'll try the jail. And I was freaked out, okay? Like, this is not, even though there's not, like, I could still relate to them in some ways. It's not like I had been to jail. It's not like I had been an addict, not like I had been an alcoholic or any of the other problems that are in jail. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that the past that I came from was not fully relatable. That's not the same swamp I walked through. I just felt like I was, someone else should be in here. But while we need those people, we need people who've been through the swamp before, the Lord can still use people who aren't, that haven't been in the swamp. And he very, very may well call you there. And the Lord has taken what I used to like me. Why am I even here? I do not feel like I connect. And he's given me a compassion to be able to see what could be in these men, in these women. That God sees them in a different way than they see themselves. That maybe even their family have seen in themselves. And so, shameless plug, if that's something that would interest you, if you would like to come with me to do Bible studies at the jail on Sunday afternoons from 2.40 to 4 p.m., I'd love to have you. Talk to me after the service. But that's not the only mud pit we can jump into. What is the group of people that God's calling you to? Are they people who have had kids out of wedlock? Are they people who you'd otherwise try to avoid in a bar. Who are they? Again, it's not their identity. We like to fixate on that. It's like they're just stuck in their filthiness. They are just filthy people. No, they are people made in the image of God who happen to have gotten caught up in sin just like you. 
find your mud pit. So humble yourself. Don't be a cynophobe, be an earthworm, and find your mud pit. Because the holier you get, the dirtier you should get. The more your heart should turn in compassion towards those who are far from God. So I want to come into a time of prayer with you before we let out today. And just a time of silence for the Lord to speak to you. Who are the people that God is calling you toward? What's the mud pit that he's asking you to jump into? Let's go to the Lord. Listen to his voice. Lord Jesus, you are gracious. And Lord, we confess that we have avoided people that we've been judgmental towards because we've failed to look at them through your eyes, to see the child of God that you want them to walk into, into their destiny. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would give us a compassion that you would uproot the judgmental, the criticism within our hearts and replace it with the love for the lost that is surely in our hearts by your grace only. Lord, help us to look more like you today. I pray that you would help us to find our mud pits, that we would want to be with those who are spiritually sick so that they can find the same healing that we have found, Jesus. Help us to humble ourselves and realize that we only are what we are today by your grace. And as we leave this place, Lord, would you make us a little more comfortable at becoming dirtier while we become holier. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Receive this blessing as we're sent out today. May God enable you to see each and every person, regardless of their actions, regardless of their past, through his eyes, you are sent out.